Hello, wherever you are tuning in from, I want to welcome you. My name is Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to Restore Temecula as the lead pastor and for brothers and sisters in Harbor City and Durban. Uh, miss you guys. Glad that you're joining us. Friends, family, brothers and sisters in uh, Restored Uptown in San Diego. Welcome, guys. So glad that you're tuning in. We are in week eight together in this series that we've been going through uh, titled Home Sweet Home. And we've been exploring uh, what it looks like to bear good spiritual fruit while we've been in this season of the global pandemic, the COVID-19 crisis, um, most of the time spent stuck in our homes. Now, in the in America, where I'm currently at, uh, it's actually kind of been good. Some of these restrictions that we've been under, they've been lifting uh, quite a bit, actually, which has been refreshing and nice. Um, for you guys that are in Durban, uh, at the time of this recording, at least, I know that you guys are still experiencing and still facing many restrictions. But regardless of your current situation, um, we all continue to face some tremendous challenges to living this spirit-led life, to, to bearing good spiritual fruit. So I'm confident that this series is just as relevant today um, as it was eight weeks ago when we started this thing. Now, if you've spent any time kind of paying attention to the news at all, you know that in America there is some significant civil unrest happening right now. Um, and this civil unrest, the vast majority of it, um, catalyzed by the murder of George Floyd. And it really is this kind of painful reminder that, that racism and, and injustice Man, it continues to be a present reality here in America. And I know that the same thing is true for you guys in South Africa. Um, it, this idea of, of, of racism and injustice and turmoil, man, this is something that both of our nations are facing. And it's been, it's been disorienting. It's been painful. It's been hard to watch. Um, but what's, what's kind of wild is, COVID-19, the, 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 the kind of catalytic, the, the catalyst that, that caused us to even start this, this series that we're in, as wild as it is to say, it kind of has become this thing that's been set on the back burner. It's almost become like an afterthought. And um, at least here in the United States, like there are, are, are protests, right? People are, are filling the streets and raising their voices, speaking out against injustice, about speaking out against hatred and and, and racism in every single state in our country. So all 50 states in America, streets fill the people protesting, which is wonderful, um, all about raising our voices and speaking out against injustice and hatred and evil and racism. It's great. But not only that, like things have escalated. Things have gotten violent. Um, riots and looting and destruction in practically every major city in America. So to say that we are living in painful and difficult times, man, it's an understatement. So before we jump into the scriptures today, I just want to take a moment and I want to pray. Uh, I want to pray and I want to ask God to encourage and to comfort us through his word. So just for a moment, will you join me in prayer? Uh, Spirit of God, we recognize that you're with us. We also recognize that there's a lot of things happening and going on around us uh, that are difficult to see, difficult to experience, painful even. Um, 
So my, my prayer, my request, Lord, is one that you would use me in this moment to bless the people tuning in, um, not with anything other than um, encouraging them with the truth and the reality of your word, your scriptures, your, your, your revealing yourself to us through these scriptures. So God, would you use me? Would you bless us? Would you encourage us and comfort us in this time? We love you, Jesus. We trust you. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We've, uh, we've been in Galatians chapter 5 throughout this whole entire series because we're going through these, these fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists here in Galatians chapter 5. So I'm going to read verses 16 through 22. This should, this should be familiar to you, but you can follow along. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, says this. Paul writing, the Apostle Paul. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what we want, this is what we've been going through, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So if this isn't your first time tuning into this series, you know we've been going through the, these, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, these aspects of the fruit that Paul describes here. He lists them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Today, we're going to be going through this idea of faithfulness faithfulness. So so to start, what we need to do is we need to be on the same page of what faithfulness actually is, okay? We need to define terms, because if we're going to be a faithful people, we need to know what biblical faithfulness actually is, okay? So um, the word faithfulness that we read in English, it's translated from the Greek word pistis. This word pistis. Now, this word in the Greek pieces, it can also be translated like fidelity. So this idea of faithfulness, fidelity, it comes from this Greek word pistis. Now, this word, it incorporates three major elements, okay? Trustworthiness, dependability, and loyalty. So what I want to do for just a moment is I kind of want to, I want to flesh these out so that we are all on the same page of what biblical faithfulness actually is. So let's start with this first kind of element, this first Peace here, trustworthiness. So this is the idea uh, of being completely reliable. Okay, so in other words, being true to your word. Um, Psalm 12 verse 6 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. When it talks about God's word, his words being pure, that word pure, what it means is it means flawless. 
uh, or perfect. Okay, it's this idea. It, it, it's trustworthy. It's being true to your word. They're flawless. They're perfect. They're, there's no blemish there. Okay, Proverbs chapter thirty verse five says this: Every word of God is pure. There's that word again. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. In Jeremiah chapter one, God He tells Jeremiah He says, "I watch over my word to perform it." Okay, so. What I want you to see here is the Bible is full of examples of God being true to his word, him following through it, being false, it being perfect, him being true to his word, him being trustworthy. Now, it's one thing to read about the trustworthiness of God, and it's a whole nother thing to actually experience it. On February 15th, 2012, uh, I became a father. My eldest daughter, Amelia, was born, and I can remember it was this, it was, it was an incredible day, uh, <laughs> for many reasons. It was an incredible day. First and foremost, my wife, Ebony, was in labor for like a day and a half. So it was this somewhat traumatic experience. Her first child, my first child, uh, the, all the stuff that goes along with being in the, in the hospital and the labor and all that stuff. But I remember as, 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 as challenging as those things were, I remember after Amelia being born, like I remember holding her and being just like, wow, this is my daughter, you know, like this is my girl. I got to meet her and, and this love comes over you where you, you don't even fully understand it, but you're like, this is my child. This is amazing. This is beautiful. And it really was a life changing day for me. Uh, a hugely life-changing day. And not just because Amelia was born and all of the glory and beauty of that, but because of the bill they handed us when we walked out of the hospital. Now, we had kind of subpar health insurance, and uh, the, 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 the total for the bill for the birth and the whole thing was right around $25,000, okay? Now, our, our health insurance was set up in such a way that our deductible was $10,000. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the way that works is, Everything above $10,000, the insurance company pays for. But we are responsible. We are on the hook for that $10,000, okay? So we walk out of this hospital with a brand new baby, stoked with her, and $10,000 in medical debt that we're like, what are we going to do with this? Now, about a week after Amelia's born, I seemingly randomly meet Andy and Jackie Rogers. Those of you guys, most of you, most of you know Andy and Jackie. They, they lead Restored Church in Uptown San Diego. And I remember meeting Andy and Jackie and, and a bit of an instant connection because I had, I felt like God had given me a dream and a passion and a desire for the church um, to function and, um, and, and live out the gospel in some tangible and specific ways. For, for, for the development and the deploying of disciples of Jesus that are centered on the gospel, empowered by the Spirit, and dedicated to seeing the, to seeing God's kingdom not just kind of like grow, but to multiply it through churches and through de developing disciples. And, um, so meeting Andy and Jackie was cool because it, it felt like, it felt like meeting someone who spoke the same language. It felt like we had very, very, um, similar dreams and desires for the church. 
And when I met them, they were, uh, they had just moved down to San Diego to kind of begin getting things going for what would become Restored Church Uptown. And so uh, that, I met them a week after Amelia's birth, you know, this, this life-changing season for us. And then a month after meeting them, long story short, Ebony and I, the only way I can think to describe it to you is we had this encounter with God where we were convinced that he was telling us to go to San Diego to help plant this church and, and specifically to go and that he would take care of us. Okay, now here's what you need to understand. The going did not involve employment. The going did not involve any financial kind of like uh, security whatsoever, but we were convinced that God had spoken. We were convinced that he was, he was, he was directing us to go and that he would take care of us. So we did. We did. And even though it didn't make a whole lot of sense on paper, the financial reality was bleak. We knew we had heard from him and we wanted to obey him. So right in this transitionary period in our life, life-changing transition from becoming parents to now moving to San Diego to plant this church with people we barely knew, and a friend calls me. And he goes, hey, Tom, uh, dude, let's go golfing. And I remember thinking, dude, like, I'm, I'm about to be unemployed. Like, we're moving, we're moving to, to plant this church. Uh, we're selling our house. Like, we're, we're in a season where, like, I, I can't in good conscience spend money going golfing. You know, so I just kind of told him, hey, dude, like, I, I can't do that right now. He's like, hey, I'll pay for it. Like, come on, you need to get out. I want to take you golfing. And I remember thinking, okay, let's go. You know, so we, we spend the day golfing and it was a beautiful day. The weather was great. And I remember halfway through the round, we're sitting in the golf cart, you know, and he looks over at me and he goes, Hey, um, I need to share something with you. I need to bring you in on something that I feel like God is speaking to me about. And he says, I was praying and I felt like God told me I'm supposed to give something to you. And he pulls out a check and he hands it to me. And the check is for a sizable amount of money. And I'm just looking at it going like, oh my goodness. And then he goes, and he goes, and after I wrote the check, he's like, I felt like God was telling me actually like that's not enough. And he goes, so I wrote a second check and he hands me a second check. And those two checks they were the equivalent of the exact amount of Amelia's medical debt from the birth. God was true to his word, even when it didn't make sense. Now listen, when he said, go, I'll take care of you, we didn't know how that was going to happen. We just knew that he said it. <clears throat> he was true to his word. Now listen, it's one thing to read about God's trustworthiness. It's a whole other thing to experience it. And the result of us experiencing his trustworthiness in such a profound way, the result is, or the result was, we trusted him more and we desired to obey him more. Guys, trust and obedience, they go hand in hand. 
Listen, you will obey God to the degree that you trust God. Now, most of us, uh, if we want to get somewhere, we, we do what? We hop in our car, right? We sit behind the wheel, we behind the glass. And most cars, you have your steering wheel, right? And right behind your steering wheel, you have kind of your instrument panel. You have your, your car's dashboard there. And that dashboard, that instrument panel, has all sorts of gauges and stuff, right? It's got your gas gauge, and it's got your temperature gauge, and it's got your speedometer. But it also has these little lights. And those lights will turn on to indicate that something has gone wrong. Maybe your, 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 your engine is overheating, or you have another problem with your engine, or your tire pressure is low, or you're running out of fuel. But these indicator lights, they indicate that something's wrong with the car. Friends, sin, disobeying God. Remember, obedience and trust are connected, right? Sin, disobeying God, is an indicator of a lack of trust for God. But listen, not only is it an indicator of a lack of trust in God, but it's also an indicator that you're trusting someone else. In Revelation chapter 12, it describes Satan, which Satan is God's enemy, right? Revelation chapter 12, it describes Satan as the deceiver. So you have, biblically speaking, you have God who is true to his word. His trustworthiness is found all throughout the scriptures. I read you some already. So God, true his word, whereas Satan is not. Satan's unfaithful. He lies. Now, you don't need me to tell you this, but there is, goodness, there is so much sin on display right now. Racism, injustice, corruption, pride, arrogance, apathy even. All of it is an indicator of something just like the lights on your car's dashboard. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems to me like there's a whole lot of finger pointing happening right now. Whole lot of finger pointing. Uh, Miles McPherson, he's a, he's a pastor in San Diego, and he uses some helpful language that I want to adopt. He talks about in-groups and out-groups. And so your in-group is people like you. It's people who think like you and people who look like you, and people who talk like you, and people who live like you, and live where you live, and it's people like you. That's your in-group. And your out-group is the opposite. It's people not like you, people who don't look like you, people who don't live like you, who don't speak like you. That's your out-group. So you have all these people pointing fingers everywhere you turn, social media, the news, television, media, people pointing figures, people pointing... Um, fingers at other people, people in their outgroup. You have people pointing fingers at politicians, like it's it's the liberals or, or or it's the conservatives. In America, that would be you know the Democrats or the Republicans. In South Africa, it would be the ANC or the DA or the EFF or the ACDP or the IFP. You guys have a lot of political parties, but either way, it's finger pointing at people not like you. Finger pointing at people. The, the, it's the rioters or it's the looters pointing fingers at other people. They're the problem. Other people are the problem. But listen to me, friends. The problem is not other people. The problem is what the Bible calls the works of the flesh. We read about it earlier. This should be familiar. Let me read it to you again. Galatians chapter 5. We're just there, starting in verse 19. Listen in. 
Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. Listen to some of these. Tell me if any of these sound familiar. Hatreds. Strife. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Factions. Envy. Drunkenness. Carousing. And anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, this passage, it's describing a kingdom that's different from God's kingdom. It's describing an evil kingdom with an evil king who instigates, who tempts, and who deceives. Friends, the enemy is not other people. The enemy is Satan. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Paul says this, put on the full armor of God. That's like battle language. That's war language where you're facing off against an enemy. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against other people. Our our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Friends, the enemy is not other people. The enemy is Satan. And his schemes are to deceive you. So listen to me. To be deceived is to trust the deceiver instead of God. I'm going to say that again. To be deceived is to trust the deceiver. Now, the most alarming thing about being deceived is that you have no idea it's happening. You are deceived. Like, you're ignorant of it. You're unaware of it. And listen, you will remain unaware unless you have access to a trustworthy indicator. And hear me say this. There's nothing more trustworthy than God's word. So listen, whenever a finger is pointed at another person as though they are the enemy, they are the problem, they are the enemy, It's an indicator that you are being deceived because the enemy is not other people. The enemy is Satan. So, can I just encourage you? Please, be careful where you place your trust because to be deceived is to trust the deceiver and not God. So, Want to review really quickly, faithfulness, what we're talking about, right? Faithfulness is trustworthiness, dependability, keeping your word. But it also incorporates one more thing that I want to cover really quick, and it's this idea of loyalty, okay? Uh, many sports fans around the world, you've been struggling during this pandemic because sports have been kind of shut down. Um, I, I've gotten word that I think they're start trying to start some up again, which I think will make a lot of people happy. But either way, sports fans, 
Typically, a sport fan is, is loyal to a specific team, right? And, and the sports fan will root for that specific team whether they win or whether they lose. Be, because loyalty, it, it's this idea of allegiance. It's allegiance. Now, there are fans who have an allegiance and a loyalty to a team, but there are also bandwagon fans, which nobody likes. Okay, bandwagon fans. And basically what a bandwagon fan is, is their allegiance to a team seems to change based on how they feel that day. Okay, their their allegiance, their loyalty, it seems to change this team to this team to this team to this team. So a lack of allegiance, it reveals a lack of of, of, of loyalty. So. When we talk about faithfulness, biblical faithfulness, it's incomplete with this idea, without this idea of, of loyalty, without this idea of allegiance, okay? If loyalty is removed from the equation, faithfulness falls apart. Now, many of you guys are in a season where you are raising children, which is a privilege and a challenge, um, but it can also be a delight. And if, if you're in that season, you know, kids have a way of asking like pretty amazing questions. Um, I was talking with my youngest daughter, Vivian, recently, um, which she asked me to talk about her in her sermon. So hi, Vivi. But either way, I'm talking with Vivian and she's asking me really good questions. And one of the questions she asked me, she just goes, Daddy, why do things fall? Like, why do people fall over if they trip? Why do things, if they, if they get knocked off the shelf, do they fall? Why, when I throw this ball, does it fall? Like, she's asking why things fall. And my response to her is the same response that you would give her, gravity. Like, and she goes, well, what's gravity? And I'm, well, gravity is kind of one of the laws of the universe. It, it, it's the reason why everything kind of falls. Everything gets, gets kind of pulled to the ground. It's, it's what causes the planets to go around the sun and stuff. Like, I... I'm coming up with answers that I don't really fully know, but I, I know enough about gravity to know like that's, that's why things fall is because of gravity. And so she starts asking more questions about gravity. And so then she asked me, well, daddy, like what would happen if gravity stopped? Would, would I be able to jump really high? Would I, would I not fall down to the ground if I tripped? Like she's asking me these questions. What if gravity stopped? What if gravity in a sense was removed from the equation? So I, I did some research, and I want to share this research with you. Uh, I found this article published by the BBC by this guy, Colin Barras, and he says this, quote, he's t- his, whole, his whole article is he was, he's like interviewing all these scientists about you know, what would happen if gravity stopped, if it was removed from the equation. And he says this, quote, says, for reasons not entirely clear, our red blood cell count falls, bringing on a form of space anemia. So wounds take longer to heal, and the immune system loses its strength. Even sleep is disturbed if gravity is weak or absent. And then he goes on to say this, things that are not attached to earth in any other way would fly off into space in a straight line that would take them away from the surface of the earth. Anyone unfortunate enough to be outside at the time would quickly be lost. People inside buildings would be safer because most buildings are so firmly rooted to the ground that they would stay put even without gravity, at least for a while. Anything else not nailed down would also float off. Earth's atmosphere and its oceans, rivers, and lakes would be one of the first things to drift away into space. 
He says, Earth itself would most likely break apart into chunks and float off into space. Eventually, there would be no clumps of matter, like stars or planets, anywhere in the universe. There would be just a diffused soup of atoms and molecules drifting around, not doing anything much. And he ends up with this, oh, and of course we'd all die. If gravity is removed from the equation, the results are devastating. Friends, faithfulness is a lot like gravity. Things fall apart without it. You see, the truth is, an unfaithful sports fan is not that big of a deal. The stakes are not very high. But when faithfulness is removed from a personal relationship, that's a, that's a different story. When a close friend or a parent or a spouse is unfaithful, man, it can be devastating. Faithfulness is a lot like gravity. Things fall apart without it. And listen, every single one of us, we know what this feels like. We know what it feels like when faithfulness is removed from the equation. And not just when other people do it to us, but when we ourselves do that to other people, when we remove faithfulness from the equation. The truth is, we haven't always kept our word. We haven't always been dependable. And we haven't always been loyal. The truth is, all of us, you, me, all of us, at times, we remove faithfulness from the equation. And listen to me. That's why the world feels so upside down right now. So disorienting because faithfulness is a lot like gravity. Without it, things fall apart. Now, I don't know about you, but I can count. I can't even count, I should say, how many times I have removed faithfulness from the equation in my relationships. I think about my wife. I think about my children. I think about my extended family. I'm sure that I have removed faithfulness from the equation to many of you watching this. And listen, if you're honest, the same is true for you. All of us have fallen short. All of us have missed the mark. But listen to me, there is one who has never removed faithfulness from the equation. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says this, Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. Now listen, please don't read this as though it's a transaction. Like, God will remain faithful if I love him. God will remain faithful if I keep the commands. Friends, this is not a stipulation. How, how do we know this is not a stipulation? He uses the word gracious here. He says, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations. Grace, gracious. It means unmerited favor. It, it implies it's undeserved 
Okay? And also, it doesn't say the person who always loves him and always keeps his commands or who perfectly loves God and perfectly keeps his commands. No, this is not a stipulation. It's not based on a transaction. If you do this or you don't do this, then God will be this way. That's not what we're reading here. Friends, what we're reading here is we're reading about him. This is who he is. God is faithful. He's always trustworthy. He's always true to his word. He's always dependable. He's always loyal. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. I love the New Living Translation. It says this, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Listen, for he cannot deny who he is. Guys, God is faithful no matter what. He, he never removes faithfulness from the equation. And we know this. The greatest example of this in the history of the world is what? The cross of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Where God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, the faithful one, comes to live in our place and die in our place. In the place of the disobedient and unfaithful people. Like me. And like you. Guys, that's, that's the gospel. We know and love the gospel. This beautiful news of God not just speaking his faithfulness, but declaring it through action, through deed. And it proves he's faithful forever, always. Now, it's one thing to read about God's faithfulness, and it's a whole other thing to experience it. So I'll wrap things up with this. We've been talking about, about this whole series about abiding in Jesus. Jesus says in, in John 15 that apart from him we can do nothing, that, that, that he is the true vine and we are the branch and he, and he calls us to remain in him, to abide in him, to stay with him, to be in close fellowship with him. And if we do that, the result of doing that will be bearing the spiritual fruit that that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. Faithfulness being one of those. Not that it's one fruit, but it's one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And listen, this idea of abiding, of remaining, it's all about receiving from the true vine. It's all about receiving. It's all about experiencing God's faithful love through Jesus. You with me? So listen, when an undeserving person experiences the faithful love of God, hear me say this, it has the power to transform that person. It has the power to transform any person. Nobody's off limits. People in your out group, not off limits. People in your in group, not off limits. The politician that you get upset with, not off limits. The racist, not off limits. God's faithful love has the power to transform anyone. So listen, experiencing this faithful love of God has the power to transform a person from pursuing the desires of the flesh that we read about to bearing spiritual fruit, good spiritual fruit. So listen, the role of the church, the role of the, the community of disciples of Jesus is to experience and express God's love. First to experience it and then to express it. So listen to me, church. 
When you do that, you are reflecting what God is like to the world around you, just like a mirror. If someone's sunbathing, right, and the sunbeams are, are shining down on them, and they're getting a tan, you can hold the mirror up and reflect it to somebody else who then can encounter that same heat, and it can tan them as well. <clears throat> so listen, I want to challenge you. I want to pastorally challenge you to know and to trust the promises of God in his word. Because listen, he's trustworthy. If he says something, he's true to his word. He's dependable. He's loyal. He's not going to withdraw it based on your performance. If God says something, it's a promise because he's true to his word. So listen, the challenge is this, to know and to trust the promises of God in his word. Because listen, if you do that, you will experience his love. Not just reading about it. You will actually experience it. And when you actually experience it, as you experience his love, you will then express that love. It will bear fruit in your life. And other people will experience that. It's bearing fruit is the result of abiding in Jesus, receiving, experiencing his love, his faithful love. So think about this for just a minute. Think about the implications here. A simple act of you experiencing God's love and the outcome being expressing it. What would happen if the world around you, even if it was just a handful of people, what would happen if the world around you experienced the faithful love of God through you? I'll tell you what would happen. More transformation would happen. More gravity. Less chaos. That sounds good to me, especially in the season that we're in as a planet with so many things unraveling, so many things seeming so disorienting. How about the gravity of God's faithful love on display through his people? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, my desire and my request for anybody tuning into this and for myself, God, that you would make us more aware of the faithful love of God through Jesus Christ, through him willingly living the life that we never could and willingly laying down that life to be brutally murdered on the cross as our substitute to be punished in our place for the ways that we don't trust him the ways we excuse me the ways we disobey him to demonstrate what faithful love looks like so god would you help us would you help us to experience that love as we examine the reality of the promises you make and that you are true to your word you are faithful trustworthy dependable and loyal and that who you are the fact that you are faithful It is not influenced by our performance. It's who you are. Let that encourage us and help us to receive your faithful love so that it can flow through our lives as well, that other people might encounter and experience your love in a transforming way. We need you, we love you, and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys. God bless you. Hopefully we'll see you soon.